You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. Gratitude within you that this person had a sense of gratitude well up within them and actually took the time to write that thank you note. And sometimes I know, I know, I know. We give a wedding gift, right? And it's nice. And they write a thank you note, and that's nice. And typically it's, hey, thanks for the crock pot. We got 12 of them. Um, and, and I know it can seem trivial, but have you ever gotten a thank you note where it, it really did mean something? And it kind of welled up the sense of gratitude within you. I remember uh, we started uh, Element City Church in Midtown, a couple miles east of U of A. And and after leaving Casas a couple years ago, and we uh, we got to do some hygiene kits for a local elementary school. So we took 400 hygiene kits to this uh, impoverished elementary school. It's a couple blocks from where our church meets. And I remember walking in with the principal thinking we were just going to drop these bags off, and I remember the principal going, come with me, and we all went, and we handed out over 400 of these kits to each one of these kids. It was like Christmas morning to them, and I, I remember uh, about a month later receiving just this pile of thank you notes from these little kids. Now, I, I know they had to write from what was on the board, um, and I know a lot of them misspelled it, but th- to me, that was the best part. And we have it hanging in our office. And I remember looking at those notes thinking there's something about this issue of gratitude. Because here's what I know about us, okay? Let's be honest. We live in a world of consumption. We live in a a culture of consumption where it's always about the next, right? It's always about more. And often, gratitude is something that gets missed in our life. But when we taste it, when we see it, it begins to well something up within us. And here's my invitation for you today. Gratitude matters. And I believe that gratitude is one of those issues, one of those topics, one of those uh, vibrancies of faith that we need to mine and cultivate more. And I want to look into God's word today as we have that. Now, a lot of people ask me, hey, hey pastor, um, what, what's God's will for my life? That's a big question, right? As a pastor, let me give you a little tip behind the the curtain kind of thing. When people ask you that, typically my first response is, could you remind me your name? (laughs) And like philosophers have tried to wrestle with that question for years. How do you answer that question in the 30 seconds we're probably going to have to interact here? Well, I don't know what house you should buy. I don't know what relationship you should pursue or shouldn't pursue. I don't necessarily know where you should shop for groceries. I don't know what kind of ice cream you should have. I don't know what kind of ice cream God prefers, though chocolate chip cookie dough, I think, is my personal favorite, and I think Jesus likes it too. So um, I don't know maybe some of those answers, but here's what I do know. I know the creator of the universe. We're tight. And I know that he is not distant or aloof, and I know he's dialed into your life, and I know he has specific plans and desires for you, and, but I also know that he's given you a freedom. He's given you a free will to exercise and to use your dominion in that way, and, and I think in a lot of ways it's, it's 
complex of how we figure this out, but here's what I want us to do. Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. There's a verse here that ties into something that actually begins to answer that question, what is God's will for your life, and ties into this idea of gratitude. Here's what Here's what's written in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 16 says this, Rejoice always. Whoa! Always? Really? Always. I don't think he's mincing words. Rejoice sort of. No, he didn't say that. Rejoice sometimes. Nope, didn't say that. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Listen to this. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is... God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I may not know what house you're supposed to buy or rent. I may not know what job or career field you should pursue. But here's what I do know. I know God loves you. I know God cares about you. I know God's not distant or aloof from you. I know he will guide you. And I know that God calls us to cultivate this attitude of gratitude. In fact, he says it right here. This is God's will for you. That you would allow this attitude to well up within your life. That gratitude is something God desires for you, not just from you. He desires it for you because he knows that there's something about this attitude of gratitude, this sense of thankfulness that will actually bring newness of life to you. It will renew you. That an attitude of gratitude is actually good for you. And he longs for you to experience that. Now, that doesn't mean you're never going to have a bad day. How many of you have had a bad day? Okay. It doesn't mean bad circumstances aren't going to unfold in your life. Anyone ever had something like that happen? Yeah, we, we all have. What it does mean is that you're not alone when you face those moments because God is dialed in to your life. I wrote this. It means that we're more anchored to Christ's presence and promises over our circumstances and situations. That we anchor ourselves to his presence and to his promise. And so often we try to anchor ourselves to our circumstances and our situations. But when something terrible or unfortunate unfolds in that, then we're shaken a little bit. And we're going to be. But if you put your anchor in God's promise and in his presence you're going to be okay. That's why Paul can write these words. I want you to give thanks always. I want you to pray continually. I want you to rejoice. I want you to give thanks in all circumstances. Don't put your hope in your circumstances. Put it in the God who has has promised his presence with you and has given you promises to live life by. See, more gratitude isn't generated by more acquisitions. Rather, it's from the awareness of God's presence and goodness. The misconception in our world is that in this idea of consumerism, that if I just get more, if I just get better, then I'll have gratitude. If I get a bigger car, then I'll be more grateful. Obviously, that's how it translates, isn't it? Anyone ever had buyer's remorse? Yeah. Remember, you're at the store, and you buy that thing, and you're like, this is awesome! It's great. It's going to change my life. And you get home, right? And your kid picks it up, throws it across the room, and it breaks. And you're like, wow, that was short-lived. Or you buy that shirt. And I'm going to look great in this shirt. It's going to be amazing how people notice. And then you get home and you wash it. 
<laughs> you realize you need to be on the Daniel plan. <laughs> so, because something happened in that dryer. It's an evil dryer. I'm not sure why your wife bought that one. I don't know. More gratitude is not necessarily generated by acquiring more stuff, is it? Yet, that seems to be the current that's underneath our culture. Wonderful Christian writer named Robert Roberts, which is just funny to say, um, don't ever name your kid two names. Um, So, he says there's a unique Christian framework to gratitude. That gratitude is a perception, a recognition of the good in life. That gratitude is a byproduct of the way you see things, a byproduct of a worldview, of how you interpret and perceive life. It's not just something you can manufacture on your own, though our world tells us we can, but it's short-lived. There's a lot of buyer's remorse. When it comes to gratitude, this welling up of gratitude, here's what we know. There's, there's three kind of components of it. One, there's, there has to be a benefit. That's the good. There has to be a beneficiary. That's someone who provided the good. And there has to be a benefactor, someone who receives the good. And when your worldview begins to see the goodness of our good God, who loves us, who has dialed into your life, then it begins to allow you to well up with gratitude. That you are the beneficiary. You're the benefactor of the beneficiary of God giving you good things. Psalm 103 says, I would, you know, don't think or don't miss all the goodness that God has provided for us. It's a great psalm to think about. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The ways that he blesses us, the ways that he's empowered us, the way that he has forgiven us, the way that he promises his presence, and that he can go and give it a greater strength in the circumstances and the situations I face in life. James chapter 1, verse 17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, I love this part, who does not change like shifting shadows. I live in a culture that changes. I live with my circumstances and my situations that change rapidly. I have bad days. And if I base all of my life on just how I'm feeling in the moment, I'll be a yo-yo. Wouldn't you? Have you ever found yourself in that rhythm where you're just kind of, just I'm having a good day, so I'm great. I'm having a bad day, so it's Right? And, and how can you give thanks in all circumstances in that situation? Now, it doesn't mean emotionally you're not going to go on a roller coaster here or there. You will. You're human. Welcome to humanity. Welcome to the fact that this is not all of there is. We live for a greater world. We live for a greater heaven to come. One that who uh, will oversee and set things right. God is a giver at his very core. And he gives good things, friends. That doesn't mean you won't face hardship, doesn't mean you won't face battles and challenges, but it means this. If God is good and he loves you and he's in your corner, then you can give thanks in all circumstances because you live by his presence and his promise more than your circumstance and situation. You begin to allow this gratitude 
to well up within you on a more regular basis. And it will begin to change how you see and how you perceive the world around you. How you interact with people. How you react to people. As you begin to allow that gratitude to well up within you. I want to look at another story. There's lots of scripture passages we could look at. But I want to look, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 17 or you can follow on version. If you have that, we can put the notes up there. But in Luke 17, there's an interesting passage that um, kind of follows Jesus on this journey. And here's what you have to understand about the gospel of Luke. It really centers around two different things. It's kind of, the gospel's kind of split in half. The first half kind of deals with Jesus in his life and his ministry around Galilee. So you have lots of stories that are flowing around there. The second half of the book is really kind of follows Jesus on this journey to Jerusalem. Why? Because he's on a mission to rescue you and me. And so he, this Gospel of Luke is kind of giving us a, a bird's eye view of some of that journey as he's traveling on his way to Jerusalem, and he's traveling in some hostile territory one day. He's traveling between uh, Samaria and Galilee, right? And if you don't know much about the Bible, maybe you're kind of new to the Bible, let me give you a little hint. It's kind of like Israel and Hamas right now, okay? It's like hostile. In fact, they don't like each other at all, the two people groups gathered there. There's a lot of hostility. There's a lot of uh, warfare. There's just a lot of people saw each other as less than. And so when you see people as less than, well, then you mistreat people, and you begin to to look down on them. And that's kind of the, the racial tensions that's going on in this area. So you imagine Jesus walking through this area, right? And also in this story, you're going to read about 10 lepers. Now, 10 lepers, you think of maybe the modern day version of what we just seen in the last couple of weeks is that the doctor who has, has Ebola uh, and has come back and you see leprosy back then in the first century uh, had this, this disdain to it, this, this notion that anybody could catch it, which, which we know isn't totally true um, medically, but a lot of people had that perception that I could catch that, and so I stay away, and so we, we ostracize lepers, right? In fact, literally, they have leper colonies. You couldn't be in the city. You had to live outside the city walls. You had to live outside. So even if you were a husband or a wife and you got leprosy at some point, then you couldn't be with your family. Maybe you could be like the old uh, Tim the Tool Man and his neighbor. You know, you could talk over the fence a little bit with each other, but that's as close as you could ever get. And so imagine having conversations with your kids that way as they grow up and dad is outside the city. And there's 10 guys that we see in the story who are outside the city, imagine all the heartache that they've had to deal with. Imagine the setbacks that they've faced in life, and they hear about Jesus traveling through this area. Maybe, they're, maybe they've heard the stories of Jesus and other lepers, and how Jesus is this guy that, that healed lepers. Jesus is this guy that actually reached out one time and touched a leper, and he was healed. And so maybe there's a a sliver of hope that begins to well up within them. And the text says that they begin to cry out and call out to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on us. They're probably a distance, maybe from the front of the room to the back of the room. I don't know how far they were, but they were yelling, trying to get Jesus' attention. Probably didn't think it was going to work. My hunch is they probably yelled before, right? They probably had the cups out, probably clanged them around, 
probably called out to city leaders before to ask for help, to ask for mercy, to ask for something. They were typically ignored, passed over, passed by. But in this moment, they said, well, what do we got to lose? So they began to call out to try to reach out to Jesus. Ten people standing at a distance. Let's look what happens. Luke 17. Now on his way to Jerusalem, verse 11, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going uh, into a village, ten men who, who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out to him in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us, have mercy on us, maybe your text says. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. What? What kind of pep talk is that? I'm not a coach, but um, I can't imagine that would be like, woo, uplifting, right? To these 10 guys who probably haven't felt human touch in a long time, who have felt ignored, who felt passed by, is there a Jesus, master, have pity on us. Go show yourself to the priest. Really? Did he just say that? Did you guys hear that? Yeah, I heard the same thing. Go show yourself to the priest. Well, here's what you got to know. In the custom of the day, the only one who could uh, restore you to community, the only one who could say, hey, you have been cleaned, was the priest. So in our first pass in English, we go, okay, big deal. Well, on third day, maybe that meant a little bit more. Maybe, but they weren't healed. Did you notice that? They're still standing there yelling with leprosy. So the story hasn't played out like the rumors they've heard other lepers have had and encountered with Jesus. But in this moment, they, they take a step. They look around at one another and probably going, well, I don't have any other plans today. So just begging. Um, so I guess we could go. So they turn maybe with a little sliver of faith that they have and hope that remains within their heart. And they begin to walk toward the priest, toward the temple, just to see. Maybe something's going to happen. I don't know. I love what unfolds from this. As they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. Imagine that. I mean, you've been standing out here for a long time. You've yelled before. You finally hear stories about Jesus, you yell again, and as you go, something begins to transpire on your skin. Maybe you can feel it. Maybe you can sense it. You definitely can begin to see it. Something's happening. Could you imagine the excitement in those 10 guys in that moment? Have you ever had a moment like that in your life where you needed God to come through? You were begging for God to send somebody, to send some sign, to send some help, somehow that something would happen, and it did. And that gratitude that wells up in your heart, right? Ten guys, forever changed in this moment. Here's the fascinating thing about the story. All ten guys get healed, right? What does that teach us about God? God's love loves to reach beyond any expectation. They probably had no expectation when they were yelling. 
Jesus, have mercy on us. Eh, we're winging it. What do we got to lose? And in this moment, we're shown a picture of God's heart, that God's love loves to reach beyond any expectation. You may be sitting here thinking, God, I'm beyond your reach. I'm so broken. You don't even know how messed up I am. And I would stand here before you and say, the God that I serve, he knows, he ain't worried, he loves you. His love can reach beyond anything you've ever done, anything you ever will do. And his love can reach you and help you. God's love loves to reach beyond. God is not stingy with his grace or his concern. He's not reluctant with his love. God loves. He is a giver at his very core. That's what we see in the life of Jesus over and over. Even people from a distance. Jesus, have mercy on us. I got you. I got you. I see you. You don't have to be this close yet. I got you. We'll get there. God is a God who delights in exceeding expectation. It's part of his generous heart. It's part of the heart he wants to build within you, within me. Most of us have a tendency to limit God, to put limits on him, to say, well, he can't do that. (laughs) Surely he wouldn't do that. Well, have you read the Bible? Because he seems to do that all the time. I think he actually delights in that. I think God loves to blow expectations out of the water. I think he gets jazzed by that because he loves to reach people. That people in the social or emotional isolation who think you are too far gone, God's love reaches beyond and it reaches far enough for you. These lepers are probably hoping, thinking on a sliver of hope. And then I want you to notice what happens as their world begins to change instantly. They're on their way where? To the priest, right? Who can restore you back to community? The priest, right? That's how it was set up in the day. The priest could say, you are now cleansed from your skin disease. You can come back into life within the village and life within this community. You can be restored in that. Here's something transpires what happens. Um, One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Listen, And he was a Samaritan. Don't miss that. Ten of them. How many got healed? Ten. All ten got the same great gift. And nine of them moved on to number next. One of them said, I can't take another step toward number next before I go back and say thank you to the one who has changed everything for me. He got gratitude. He began to allow it to well up within his heart. He understood it. And something transpired for him. See, God's love is always reaching beyond. Listen, God desires our love to reach back. God's love is always reaching beyond. He loves to do that. He's delighting in doing that. But listen, he desires for your love to reach back. 
See, he goes back and he throws himself at Jesus' feet. And listen to the words of Jesus. Verse 17. We're not all ten cleansed? Didn't all ten of you get the same gift? Has, where are the other nine? Listen. Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? In Greek, it's elegonese. Has no one returned except this elegonese to give praise to God? Where are the other nine? Can you hear the, in the voice of Jesus? See, God's love loves to reach beyond. But listen, friends, he desires for our love to reach back. It's this relational correspondence that God desires, not just religious compliance. Friends, this is where the church in our day gets sideways. If all we ever strive for is religious compliance, I'm compliant, God. I'm going to the priest like you told me. And yet you miss out on the relational connection with your Savior. You're missing everything. Relational correspondence is what Jesus desires. Not just religious compliance. And so Jesus in this moment, where where the other night? Has no one else come back except this elegonese, except this foreigner? What's fascinating about that word foreigner is in the temple mount, Remember how there's different courts in the temple? And the court of Gentiles is where anybody could go, right? But then the court of God's people, the Jewish people, who, and really the Jewish men, sorry ladies, of what they could go into this inner courts. You know what was stamped on the limestone outside of that? There was this phrase that said, no elegones, meaning no foreigner could go beyond this Fascinating that here we have an Elegonis who's at the feet of the Lord of the temple. And in this moment, Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Your faith has sozoed you. It's restored you completely. You are healed in body. Now you're healed in soul. You are made right with your creator, with God Almighty, because of your faith in me. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And he dismisses him. What's fascinating about the story, you got major relational and, uh, and racial tensions going on between these two groups of people, right? You have relational distance because of a skin disease. You have, because of a foreigner, no one who could ever go before into the inner part of the temple. But yet this one guy, says, I can't take another step on a number next until I go back to this Jesus who's changed everything for me. And in that moment, he and Jesus have a relational exchange that the other nine missed. They got healed in body, but they didn't get healed deep within. Isn't that fascinating? Jesus' love Loves to reach beyond. But listen, he desires for our love to reach back. He wants a relational correspondence, not just religious compliance. He longs for you to relate with him, to allow gratitude to well up. See, giving thanks 
in all circumstances is a relational thing, not just a compliance thing. We read that verse wrong. See, if give thanks in all circumstances is just my duty, then I can give thanks. God, thanks for the flat tire. Awesome. Really made my day. God, your car got a flat tire. But hey, you gave me your car. Thanks, God. Thanks that my dad taught me how to change the tire. Thanks that it's only 101 instead of 105 today. We're good. I know heaven's going to be 72, beachfront. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) I can give thanks when it's relational in tone, not just when it's supposed to be about being compliant. Maybe having an attitude of gratitude is a little tougher than we think. How many people got healed? How many got gratitude? 10%. Now, I went to Miranda High School so I'm not really great at math, but (laughs) 10% seems low. Can we agree on that? 90%, how many of you, if I gave you a test and said, you can either take the test or I'll give you 90% right now, how many of you take the 90%? Uh You're kind of dumb if you just take the test. Wait a minute, I don't have to take anything, you just give me 90%? Sure, I'll do that. 90% moved on. 10% went back. 10%. If God's love is always reaching beyond, yet he desires our love to reach back, think about your life now. If God is good, and he's been blessing you, and it doesn't mean you're rich, it doesn't mean you're Donald Trump material, it just means that life is going, and you're not alone. Life is unfolding, and he's intertwining with your life, intervening in your life, not distant, but dialed in, and he's with you. Maybe this attitude of gratitude is actually a little tougher than we think. I mean, if 90% are quick to move on to number next. See, the spiritual life Jesus invites us to is not purely factual or an intellectual endeavor. It is that. But it's about our heart. And it's about an ongoing, growing, relational connection with your Savior. And friends, here's what I'm convinced of. If you feel or sense that the depth of of relational connection with Jesus that you have hasn't been moving in a while, hasn't been growing deeper, then here's my question to you. Are you with the 90? Are you with the 10? Because my hunch is if you figure out where you've been placing yourself, I bet that's why. Maybe this attitude of gratitude is actually a much bigger deal than we think that all throughout the scriptures, those who lived, not just in a dependence on Jesus because he's big and I'm little, but this idea of a relational dependence that God, I just want to live in awe. I just want to live in wonder. How many of you have kids? Kids get this. They get it. You know what we forget when we grow up? Wonder. 
We forget to wonder about the beauty of life and about the fact that everything we have is a gift. I didn't have to be born here. I didn't have to be given in my family. I didn't have to have the abilities that I have. God gave that as a gift. And if I just learn to live in wonder a little bit more about the beauty and the majesty of who God is and the fact that he's my friend, oh my Lord, that even when circumstances and situations come and go and the yo-yo life happens, that he's in my corner. That's amazing. And when you begin to live with that wonder, it begins to change things. This attitude of gratitude is a big deal. A.W. Tozer writes this, gratitude is an offering precious in the sight of God, and it is one that the poorest of us can make and be richer for it. Gratitude matters. One Samaritan comes back. Can I give us a couple pictures as we move toward application of this? One is this. How many of you drove here today? Anyone ride a horse? Just curious. Okay. Um, so you drove here, right? What, what do you typically look out when you drive? It's not a trick answer. What do you look out as you drive? Your windshield. Most of you should answer windshield. If you didn't, I hope you're the passenger. Um, so as a driver, we spend majority of our time looking out the windshield. Is there something else we're supposed to look out at or look into? The rearview mirror, right? Here's my hunch. I bet, I bet you spend 90% of your time looking at the windshield of your car when you drive. And I bet you spend about 10% of your time looking in the rearview mirror of your car when you drive. What if we just applied that to life? What if as believers in Jesus, or maybe you're not even a believer yet, you're here back in church, and I think it's awesome that you're here, and I hope that you keep investigating this guy, Jesus, because there's something about him. There's just something about him. He's worth your pursuit to investigate. What if I wrote in my mirror, This is not off my car. I have an additional one. I wrote God's mercy. And this sits in my office. And it reminds me when I see it to go, stop. Don't move on to number next. Take a moment and just reflect back. Think back on God's mercy that I've seen on display in my life. And take a moment and pray. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. Take a moment. Uh, Maybe another illustration. When you were a kid, and the fire department or the fireman John or whatever would come to your school, and they would teach you, if you ever catch on fire, you're supposed to do what? I'm very impressed you still remember that. Um, so in case there's a candle incident at home, uh, now you all know, stop, drop, and roll, right? Isn't that what this Samaritan did? When he got healed, all 10 get healed, one doesn't move on to number next right away. He stops. He comes back, he drops at Jesus' feet in humility. Thank you, 
thank you, thank you. And he just let praise roll off his lips. Maybe we need to exercise that more in our life. See, gratitude, here's the bottom line. Gratitude is fuel for an active and growing faith with Jesus. If you don't hear anything else, hear that. Gratitude is the fuel for an active and growing faith with Jesus. Because this is about a relational connection, not just a religious compliance. And gratitude needs to well up within your heart. Let this idea of stop, drop, and roll become more of a rhythm in how you live your life. He stopped, he dropped, he let praise roll and gratitude roll off his lips. See, gratitude grows best within the posture of humility. Gratitude grows best within the posture of humility. The bigger our sense of entitlement, the smaller our sense of gratitude. That's the truth. The bigger our sense of entitlement, I deserve this, I need this, I get this, the smaller your sense of gratitude. So let gratitude grow within your life. This week, here's the challenge I want to give you. Every time you see your rearview mirror, I want you to think. In fact, I hope 20 years from now, every time you see the rearview mirror, you just think, God's mercy is in my life. I just want to pause and tell you, God, thanks. Thanks for allowing me to grow in my sense of wonder and awe of you. Open my eyes to that because I get so fixated out the windshield of life and moving on to the next thing over the horizon. And I just want to pause. Or maybe this, you ever catch your grill on fire and you think, stop, drop, and roll. And you just think, hey, that's Samaritan. That's what he did. And when you came in, you were given a, a thank you note. Uh, a few weeks ago, I um, did the sermon at my church, and I took 10 minutes, and I just wrote a thank you note to God. It seems trivial, but for me and God, those 10, 15 minutes, it was pretty sweet. To think back, all the blessings and all the ways he's been active in my life, And so as the worship team comes to lead us in a final song here, I want to just give you some space. Maybe you want to fill this out now. Maybe you want to start now. Maybe you just want to contemplate and think about what does it mean to live with this attitude of gratitude. See, gratitude is good for you because gratitude is the fuel for an active and growing faith with Jesus. There's no other way around it. Gratitude is that fuel. And so let that burn within your life as it fuels you moving forward. And this week, take 10 minutes, just you and God, and just say, okay, God, that preacher dude said I gotta do this. And your attitude will shift as you go from there. And just begin to do bullet points or just make a note of all the ways that he's been blessing and active within your life. Because gratitude is the fuel for an active and growing faith with Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
You rock. You're awesome. You didn't have to, but you did. You're good. You're so good. God, would you grow your church here in Oracle, in Tucson, in Arizona, in this country? Would you grow our sense of gratitude? Would you help it fuel our faith in you, Jesus? That other people couldn't help but see our smile, couldn't help but see the joy, couldn't help but see the wonder and begin to wonder themselves, who who is that? Your life is falling apart and yet you're smiling. I don't get that. God, that's supernatural. And that's how you change hearts, one life at a time. Use your church. Allow us to have some great tender moments with you this week as we just write a thank you note to you, Jesus. We love you. And we thank you. We thank you. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.